For scripture reading, we read part of Psalm 68. It's the 18th verse that's quoted. When we read the first 19 verses of Psalm 68, and then we'll read part of Ephesians 4. Psalm 68. Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. <coughs> Sing unto God. Sing praises to his name. Extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Jah. And rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentest forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness. The earth shook. The heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, didst tend the plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word, Great was the company of those that published it. Kings of armies did flee apace, and she that tarried at home divided the spoil. Though ye have lain among the pots, yet shall be ye shall be shall ye be as the wings of a dove covered with silver, and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow and salmon. The hill of God is as the hill of Bashan, and high hill as the hill of Bashan. Why leap ye, ye high hills? This is the hill which God desireth to dwell in. Yea, the Lord will dwell in it forever. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captives, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Now we turn to Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> and I'm going to start in, I had in the bulletin 1 to 13. Instead, I'm going to start at verse 4 and read through verse 16, starting at verse 4 and then going on to verse uh, 16. There's one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, 
He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he had ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So far we read from the scriptures tonight. And the text we consider is verses seven, or verses seven and eight. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Dearly beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we look at this passage, as we look at it in its context, we see that this is a passage that's speaking about the one body of Christ in which there is unity and in which there's also the diversity. And how important it is for us to work together as members of the same body. The previous section talked about endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And this, starting at verse 4, it starts emphasizing the unity. There's one body, one spirit. We have the one spirit of Christ within us and all those that have the one spirit of Christ within them are members of the same body there's one Lord there's one Lord Jesus Christ whom we serve there's one baptism we have one hope we have one faith there's one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all So that stresses the idea of the unity. The unity that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then starting in this, with this verse, there's a reference to how every one of the members is given grace. Everyone's given gifts. It says, every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Christ gives the gifts. And according to the measure of his gift, each one of us receives grace. And we're to work together, we're to communicate together. We're to commune together. We're to fellowship together. And that's why I went on to verse 16 that also speaks of that, the whole body 
fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That we're to grow together. Just like with the members, there are so many illustrations that, are t- that can be taken from the idea of, the, of, a, of a body. Different members, one body, all directed by the head. The importance of all the different members of the body and how there be a working together as members of the same body and how we're to communicate together, fellowship together. And that each member is important. Now that's one of the points that's stressed here. Every member is important. Each one of us is given grace and it's to be and our gifts are to be used for the advantage of the other members of the body. This subject is addressed in the Heidelberg Catechism when we talk about the communion of the saints. That it speaks of the very subject that's brought up here. And we see why it's brought up here when it's talking about endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It starts talking about the the unity, the oneness, and also the diversity and how we're to to work together. Now we do see that by the grace of God that this is a reality. You know, when we confess the communion of the saints, we're saying there really is this communion. We're called to commune. But it also is the case that there really is this communion. There really is this bond that God has established. And those that are united in Christ really do commune. We believe the communion of saints. That in the Apostles' Creed that goes so far back, that confession, that was included that we believe and, not in, but and, Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. And as those, then those who confess to believe what scripture says about the communion of the saints, we also see it to be our duty, and that is the word that's used in the Heidelberg, that it's our duty readily and cheerfully to employ our our gifts for the advantage and the salvation of the other members. Indeed, we do see that too. We see that that really does happen. And many times we hear expressions in our own congregation and other congregations, you see it as well, where the saints talk about how thankful they are for the communion of the saints. As we go through difficult times together, and we help one another up when others recognize that we're going through a difficult time and they, and they assist us. Or when our brothers or sisters, when they talk with us and encourage us. We're thankful as we meet together and we study the word together. We grow to know one another. And we see, the, we see how God guides our brothers and sisters with us together to study the word at different ages. We work together and we see that we enjoy doing that. Yet we also recognize how important it is for us to grow in this. We become very busy. Very easily our schedule can be, we can fill up our schedule with a lot of different events. We've got lots of things that we're involved in. And as our family gets bigger, we can have so much time just with our family. 
And it is good that we have fellowship together as, as with our family and with our extended family. And we have others that we're closer to, that we do get together with more frequently than others. And it will be the case that there are some we're closer to than others, that we've known more, maybe for longer. Yet it's also the case for us, that it's also the case that we are to continue to strive to get to know, to commune with the various members of the body in our own congregation and saints elsewhere as well. And this passage speaks to us about the grace that Christ has given to us, blessings that he has purchased for us, gifts that we are to use in his service. We consider this passage under the theme, Receiving Gifts from Our King. We consider, first of all, the victory of our King. And we're going to talk in that connection about how right after verse 7, there's this reference to the ascension. And there's a quotation of Psalm 68. So we'll look at that in the first place, the victory of our King. Then secondly, the giving of gifts. The victorious king gives gifts to the people. So in the second place, we'll look at it from the viewpoint of the, of the giving of gifts. And then in the third place, from the viewpoint of the, the use of our gifts. Receiving gifts from our king. First of all, as far as the idea, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. The idea is that of a victorious king that ascends. And he's ruling on the throne. And that he has conquered the foe leading captivity captive has the idea of a captivity and have the idea of a, a group of, of those who are captives. There's different uses of the term captivity and one of the uses of the term captivity is for a group of captives. Leading a group of captives and giving gifts to men. So the illustration is of some king that is victorious. He's been victorious over the foes. He's conquered the enemy. He's got those that are captive. And he gives of the spoil to the people. And there's places where you can find references to that, for example. You can find references to King David, for example. and his victories and you see the idea of, the, of him being victorious and the giving of things to the people in his victories now Psalm 68 there's a difference I want to mention briefly there's a difference between the wording of Ephesians 4 verse 8 and the way it is in Psalm 16 there are some differences and rather than getting into all the details that you can see the one of the one of the main ones that's pointed out is that Psalm 68 verse 18 speaks about him receiving gifts and Ephesians 4 refers to him as giving gifts. Psalm 68 says, Thou hast received gifts for men. That's the way it's translated. And Ephesians 4 says that he gave gifts. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. I just want to bring out a, a general principle to follow 
when one finds that the quote from an old, the New Testament quote of the Old Testament, there seems to be some differences. A key point to remember is that both the New Testament and the Old Testament are divinely inspired. So that if it's the case that the New Testament quotes the Old, and if there's a little bit of a change, <clears throat> it's the same Spirit who inspired the Old Testament, who inspired the New Testament. And so you have a slight change, but that this is also the Word of God. And you can, in this case, put it together from the idea that he received, there's the receiving of gifts and the giving of gifts. So that both of those ideas are set forth. What we have then is a divinely inspired quotation with a also with an application to a specific to the specific subject that's addressed here in Ephesians 4. Now looking at Psalm 68 briefly and in that context as far as what do you read of this is said to have been a psalm or song of David and now when you think back on the transition between the change from what it was like in the days of Saul to what it was like in the days of David. You know, they wanted a king like the other nations have. Well, God then, you know, gives them a king, gives them King Saul. And they've got a wicked king. And during that time, you see the, the oppression of the, you see the enemies that come against them. And you see how the king, King Saul, is even leading in a persecution against David. But the Lord anoints David. And Saul is leading men to come after David. And what it was like in that time. And the sufferings of, da of King David. We know when we think on the sufferings of David, we're to have our mind, our mind, in our mind, we're to think of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And then we read that Jehovah slew Saul and turned the kingdom to, to David. And that we read about how David now is king and how he takes Zion, where the Jebusites were. And now he's going to reign as, as king. And there's victory over the enemies. And the Bible speaks of a number of the victories in the days of, of King David. And the ark is brought to Jerusalem. And, during, and when we look at that history, we are directed to think of how David is a type of Christ and how when he went before uh, he ascended he suffered he was hated he was persecuted there were many that were saying that they were God's people that were coming after him and who wanted him crucified Yet he accomplished the victory. He accomplished the victory over the foes. The enemies are subject to him. He overcame death. He triumphed over Satan and the demons. He, he conquered. He is victorious over the foes. And he ascends into heaven... And he sits at the right hand of God and he gives gifts to his people. And that, that's the idea that we have here. That we see the parallel between the, what happened in the days of David 
and what we sing about in Psalm 68 and how it pointed, points us to what took place in the life of Jesus, in Jesus Christ, in his death, in his suffering, in his death, in his resurrection, ascension, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the giving of us of the gifts, giving us blessings that he has purchased for us. So with regard to the enemies, when you think of the idea of having a captive, a group of captive enemies, and also the giving of gifts regarding our enemies, he has conquered. And regarding the gifts, he gives us the gifts that he has purchased by his spirit. He's liberated us. He has set us free. Not to be brought into bondage again. That the enemies, though they continue to assault us, as we had this morning, we've been set free. We were in bondage to sin and we've been liberated. We have put off the old man. We're told, on the one hand, we have to continue that that battle with the old man, but we have been set free. We've been liberated. Christ has offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. And we have been set free. And Christ our King is on the throne. We have our King who is victorious, who is over the throne, who is, who is on the throne, and he dwells among us. Our king, our victorious king, dwells among us. And we, who are the members of his body, are to commune together, to fellowship together. He gives us gifts that we are to use in the service of God for the advantage of the other members. Now, with regard to the giving of the gifts, more about that idea of the giving of the gifts and this idea of the communion of the saints. When we talk about the communion of the saints, it's important for us to bring out that the union that we're talking about, talk about union and communion. The union God establishes You and I are united with everyone that God has unconditionally chosen and that Christ has died for and that the Spirit of Christ dwells in. You know, you think of different human societies where you can decide if you want to join or not and that all the ones that are members of that group are ones that chose to join. They could have chosen to join or chosen not to join. Now, there are those that think of the church that way. You know, you just, as if it's de dependent upon human choice. But we recognize that that's not the way it is. God unconditionally chose us. He gave us to Christ who laid down his life for us. And Christ dwells in us by his spirit. And you and I are united with everyone whom he has chosen. And of course, we don't know who the elect are personally, yet we do see their confession of their faith. And as we find those that confess the same faith, and the same hope, who also express their sorrow for sin and their desire for deliverance, as we had this morning, who confess their sins, who are repentant, and who desire to glorify God. 
where we commune together with those uh, of like faith and we recognize the work of the spirit in a brother or sister whatever nation they may be from whatever their background may have been God is the one that establishes the union the faith itself is God given he gave faith to some he gives repentance to some and those to whom God gave gives repentance those to whom God gives faith were to commune with them we're to have fellowship together. And God directs us that those are the people we should fellowship with. Not with those that are trying to get us to do what we ought not. We often talk to our children about that. And there's times when we tell them, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be with them. They're always trying to get you to do what you know full well you're not supposed to do. Or don't go over there and be with them. You know what they're going to, what they do. And you know it's contrary to the law of God. Don't be over there joining with them. Don't be walking over there to be with them when you know what they're going to do. Fellowship with those of like faith that are walking in truth. To walk apart from this world. He's called us out. He separated us. And we're to walk with those who are walking with God. Fellow sinners who are sorry for their sins, who are turning, who, have, who are repentant, and who are looking to God for grace. We who together have God-given faith are all together partakers of Christ and all his riches and gifts that's the phrase in the Heidelberg that all of us in common are partakers of him we all partake of Christ we're all nourished by his crucified body and shed blood we all receive grace Ephesians 4 speaks of that but unto every one of us is given grace, particular grace. It's talking about the members of the body. But unto every one of us is given, is given grace. We all have faith. We all have knowledge. We all have wisdom. That God gives us the blessings of justification, forgiveness of sins, sanctification. We also recognize that there are gifts, there are spiritual gifts that God gives according to the measure and grace given, as, as this text says here, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And we read of some having this gift, some having that gift. And there's other passages that speak of that. 1 Corinthians 12, there's a passage there that speaks of it. And Romans 12. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Those are two passages that speak of this idea of the different, of the different gifts. And the measure, well, it's the measure of Christ. Christ's measure, given by the Spirit. God has set the members in the body as it has pleased him, and he's the one, Christ is the one that gives the gifts. And when we look at the scriptures to see, you know, well, what are, what are those gifts? Well, it does mention, like in 1 Corinthians 12, it mentions faith. You have faith? It mentions wisdom. You have wisdom. You have knowledge. Just mentioning faith, most people don't have faith. But you do. God infused it into you. He works in you both the will to believe and the believing itself 
And then there's also references to specific gifts like prophesying and ministry. These are the Romans 12 refers to these. Teaching, exhorting, giving, ruling, showing mercy. You just take that last one. Showing mercy. Or one of the ones before that. Giving. Showing genuine mercy. Out of, you know, showing genuine love being, and showing mercy to someone. Only those in Christ really do. We're prone by nature to hate God and our neighbor. But really to show mercy? Really to give cheerfully? These are gifts that God has given. Now, we do show mercy to one another. We do give to one another. Prophesying in the sense of confessing the word of God, we all believers do. Yet we do recognize, too, that so more so in some than others we see. Now we see the gifts that, uh, that are referred to, that they're manifested in some more than others, and we see the, how we benefit from one another. And that these gifts are given for the promotion of unity, not disunity. One might have, you know, one might think, well, if there's these differences, how does that go with promoting unity? Well, the idea is, just like members of the body, different members, yet seeing how it's important for them to work together. The hand, the foot, the eye, the ear, and so on. The importance of them working together. And that we also are to see the importance of us working together. We're to see also the importance of the church institute. You know, when he talks about gifts, he goes on and says in verse 11, he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So he refers to the apostles as something that God gave. Evangelists, teachers, pastors, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and there's a reference to the special office and the, and the church institute. We also have reference to, in 1 Corinthians 12, to helps, governments, when we talk about the offices of deacons, when we talk about helps and government and the elders, that we see those special offices too. And the importance of us communing together as members of, the, of a church institute. There are those that don't, you know, they stay apart from a church institute. But it's important for us who are members of the same body in the sense of the body of Christ also to be members of a church institute. As all the passages that talk about the church institute with the elders and deacons and the pastors and teachers make clear. We're to see our need of one another. How important it is that we work together. If we were missing one we'd be incomplete. If, one of, if you were missing, we'd be incomplete. God has set the members, everyone in the body, as it pleased him. And how important it is that all of the members together commune together. Looking at it from the viewpoint of the body of Christ now, the, the 
the one body of Christ, of all the elect, that God has set all of us together in the body. We all are to work together. There's a certain application of it to the church institute, but we know, of course, in the church institute, there's a mixture. There's going to be the wheat and the tares. Of course, we understand that. There's an application to the church institute. But when we think of the one body of Jesus Christ, we reckon God has determined who are going to be the members of that body, and we're all together members of that one body. And he has given everyone to everyone he's given grace. Every one of the members of that body, he's given grace. Unto every one of us is given grace. He addresses the Ephesians that way. Even though there would be, you know, the, 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 we see in a number of cases how the people are addressed as believers. We preach that way too. We address the congregation as beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though there can be unbelievers present, unbelievers as members. They're addressed, the God's people are addressed as believers. And so here he writes this letter to the Ephesians and he says, unto every one of us is given grace. He addresses us as people of God. Unto every one of us, grace is given and we are then to use the gifts that God has graciously given us in his service. Now, certainly that means an application of this means that we are to commune, strive to commune with the members in our own congregation. That's where there's an application of this, even though it's referring to the one body of Jesus Christ, all the elect, an application of this is to the church institute in that we are to strive to get to know the other members of the body. We all have those whom we know better than others. But we recognize that is important. And that sometimes that when a church gets larger, in some ways that may be a bit more difficult. People some often talk about how in a smaller congregation everybody kind of knows one another. And there's more interaction together, young and old studying the scriptures together. They may have just one society and all the different ages are gathering together. They quickly recognize when somebody's not there. And there's a fellowship and intimacy there. And if somebody else comes that isn't known, quickly people are going up and, and talking to, to that person. And that can be a little bit harder when the church grows and as time goes on. And it can tend to be the case that we each of us tends to talk to a certain group of the ones that we know well, but there's many that we don't know really very well. If, and that's going to be the case. There's going to be those that we know better than others. Yet what's good for us to do is to try to get to know others, to stay around and fellowship after church is, is one such time. But there's other times we get together too. And for us to look for opportunities to get together and to get to know more people. Like I said, I'm, we do tend to think we, we, we are so busy and we do fill up our schedules. So times we feel like we got so many things going on and our families do expand. And it is good that we fellowship together as families, but we do see the importance of us getting to know more of the saints. We're to use our gifts for the advantage and salvation of the other members, as it says. Well, we do use our gifts for the advantage of others in our own family. And certainly we're to do that. We are to see that there's both, there is to be the communion of the saints in our homes. It should be very evident in our homes that the communion of saints is taking place. 
and then outside of our homes. Communing together, using our gifts. We're to recognize that whatever we received as a gift was exactly that, a gift. We're not to take the credit for it. We're not to be proud about it. We're not to be puffed up. We're always to be aware of exalted views of ourselves and looking down upon others. Also, we're to remember there's a variety of gifts and we're to see the gifts given to our brothers and sisters and we're not to be envious as if we're in some competition with them. But we're to be thankful for the gifts that others have received. That's one of the things that we can also struggle with, this idea that there's some kind of competition in certain areas. We can find ourselves kind of wanting to compete in certain areas. And look at other people and in our own mind thinking whether we're better or not. And we recognize we're to be thankful for the gifts that are given to one another. And that we're to rejoice to see someone else honored. When one member is honored, the others rejoice. Not the others are envious. And trying to put that person down at least in one's thoughts doing that. But we're to rejoice. And when another is going through a difficult time, we're to, we're to want to help and assist one another. We're to, we weep together and, and we rejoice together. We're to use our gifts to the glory of God. We're not to use them to exalt ourselves and try to bring attention to ourselves. That's another thing we can tend to do. If we do something, we want others to be able to see it. We might want to not make it evident that we're wanting others to see it. But our goal is to be, and indeed it is, when you look at it from the viewpoint of our, in our new heart, we really do want the glory of God. And just like we had this morning when we say, thine is the glory. When we start out the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, and we end it, thine is the glory. We really do mean that. Even though we still have a sinful nature, and we do have to fight against that desire to exalt ourselves. That we see so early, so early in children, we, can see, we see it in our own home, that children can be competing with one another, children, for attention, or in various areas, they can find themselves competing with others or, in a, or their classmates, that there's communion with their classmates. We can also see that competition. And we're, we're to delight to see and to teach our children to delight to see their classmates honored. And to be thankful for the gifts that other members have. And you know, when we, we think of that, we say, well, you know, I am. I am. And you say that too, that we are. Yet we recognize we're sinners. And we struggle with that depraved nature that we have. So that we can see the pride and 
the selfishness, yet we can also see that there is real love for God and his people. And we sing about how we love the saints. And we're honest. By the grace of God, we, we really do. We really, really do. We're to be thankful for our place in the body of Christ. Each one of us has a station. Each one of us has a calling. And we're to be thankful for the station and calling that God has given us, for the gifts that God has given us. We're to thank him for them. And we're to recognize that the blessings we receive come from our king. Our king who suffered. Our king who was obedient under the accursed death. Our king who rose victorious and ascended and has poured out the spirit. Our king has given us gifts. He's accomplished the victory. And the complete victory we will re receive one day. We will obtain as we had this morning. And in that consciousness of what Christ has done, knowing who our king is, knowing that we're not our own, knowing that one spirit dwells within us, we have one Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God who is our Father. May we as his children express our thankfulness to him and use our gifts readily. Use our gifts cheerfully. Thankful for what our Lord has done and delighting to encourage one another and to praise his holy name. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God and our Father, we are thankful, O oh Lord, for the grace that thou dost give. We are thankful, O oh Lord, for the communion that there is in Christ Jesus. We are thankful as we work together as we talk about thy word together, as we assist one another, we're thankful, O Lord, for the grace that thou hast given to our brothers and our sisters in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're thankful for the gifts that thou hast given to the different members. May we together, O Lord, glorify thee. Pardon our many sins, strengthen us, we pray. And may our words, our conduct, our very thoughts, all that we do, really be to thy honor. We're so thankful that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven and that we know our king has accomplished the victory. We're so thankful for the gifts that we receive from thee through him. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat>